This is a slightly different order from what we've been used to in the past. It's on Sundays like today, I'm starting here and then going down to 502 once uh, finished here. Um, I might move up here to get out the way of the speakers. There you go. That's better. Right, it is now spring, almost summer, as evidenced by the, uh, the glorious sunshine. And um, looking forward to all that the summer means. Uh, Dan's making bread in the uh, food stream of School of Life. I'm, I'm killing crabs. So if you want to know how to kill a crab, did that a few years ago with some people in my house, but we're going to do crab killing in the kitchen here for one of the sessions. Um, and we've got other stuff happening as well. We've got a number of, of guests coming to us over the next few weeks. Next Sunday, Stefan Rain from Cape Town is going to be here. Um, he's going to be speaking at both services at Gateway next Sunday, so come and listen to him. And then uh, in, the, in June, we've got PJ, who you've just seen on the video, he'll be here, and Donnie Griggs, who many of you know, they'll be here as well in June speaking. Um, this week, tomorrow I'm off, I'm in, at a European Church Leaders Conference in Athens for the week. Uh, 300 uh, pastors from nations across Europe, particularly focusing on church planting, so... Uh, it'd be great to connect with people out there and uh, see what God's doing across the continent. Uh, the two things we're doing in terms of teaching over this summer, we're going to have two short series, one on uh, the book of Jonah and one from the book of Proverbs. And in both these series, we're really going to be focusing practically on how we're to live. We, we need practical advice about how to do life well. Actually, part of the reason why we're doing the School of Life is to help us to think about how we do life well in all kinds of different areas, physically and emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. So hopefully this whole thing over the summer, both our teaching and what we're doing midweek, will connect really well. And of course, the Bible supplies lots of practical advice about how to do life. And the Bible speaks to contemporary issues. It speaks to issues which we'll be looking at about how uh, to think about work, how to think about money, how to think about justice, all kinds of different issues. And uh, we want to live a good life. And the Bible shows us how following God is the way to achieve that. There's also areas of struggle that we all face in our lives, things we find difficult. And again, the Bible gives us practical help about how to deal with those things, how to handle life. Um, also hoping that would help us to think increasingly theologically. We all tend to be led by the spirit of the age. Without even realizing it, we just get caught up in the way of thinking of how the world thinks because that's the water in which we swim. And so as we think about some very practical subjects over the next few weeks, hoping also that we kind of get our minds more theologically wired, wired that, we, that we think differently from just how our, our world thinks. We actually think like Christians. We approach life as followers of Jesus Christ. So there's uh, some personal goals for these next few weeks. The personal goal is that I and you would be equipped to live better. And there's a corporate goal as well, that we together, us, would learn more of what it is to be more godly and more effective in doing community together and serving Jesus. And uh, we're going to start this uh, summer series of teaching by looking at the book of Proverbs and the book of Proverbs is jam-packed with all kinds of advice. That's what it is. It's a, it's a book of Proverbs. It's, it does what it says on the tin. Um, and full of practical advice about how to live. Uh, and because we're only doing this for a few weeks, we're not going to look at the whole book. We're just actually going to focus on one chapter. We're just going to look at Proverbs chapter 18. And we're going to draw six lessons from Proverbs 18 over the next few weeks, which I hope will equip us and help us. And where we're going to start is by thinking about words, good words, how we're to speak. 
If you want to look at Proverbs 18, it's on page 376 in these Bibles. But the particular verses we'll look at is, will also appear up on the, the screen as we go. Now, we all know that um, words are powerful. If we're going to do, if we're going to live well, we need to speak well. The things that we say and also how we say them make a big difference to life. And if you read through the Proverbs, what you'll find there is that the emphasis in the Proverbs is how often destructive words can be and how the tongue can cause all kinds of problems. And there is a tendency with our words to lead us into trouble. The things that we say tend to lead us into trouble. And there's all kinds of examples we can think of happening all the time where we see people getting led into trouble by the things that they say. Over the past couple of weeks, David Cameron was led into trouble by the things that he said or, or didn't say or didn't quite say right about his, uh, his uh, tax and way his dad had done business. And so he actually hadn't done anything illegal or actually wrong, but because he didn't say quite the right things, he ended up in all kinds of problems. Or uh, Donald Trump, who every time he opens up, up his mouth, gets led into trouble. These examples of high-profile figures abound around us. But, of course, it's very easy to point at something like Donald Trump or David Cameron and say, you shouldn't have said that or shouldn't have said it that way. But all of us as well have a tendency to find our mouths leading us into all kinds of trouble. Certainly that's been my experience on many occasions. Uh, We're all prone to speak in a way which we think will help us but can actually make things worse. We're prone to selective updating where we speak things about ourselves which is intended to make us look better than we are but people see through it or... We uh, say things thoughtlessly, rashly, uh, rashly, which suddenly come out and can cause problems. I remember one time I was with some, with some friends and, uh, and we were having a bit of a, uh, an increasingly contentious debate about something. And at one point I just said to this particular friend, I've been friends with for years and years, he said, oh, you're such a prat. And it wasn't, a, I mean, as, as far as insults go, it's not that bad, you're such a prat. But actually, in the context and the way I said it, it, was kind of, it took a lot of unraveling and unpicking to restore the damage that had been done. And we can so easily do that, just our, our tongues can run away. We can speak without thinking. And, and Proverbs is particularly concerned about how our tongues tend to get into boasting and lying and slandering and folly. And this is probably more an issue for our generation than has been the case for any other generation because of the existence of social media. And social media tends to encourage and feed boasting and lying and slandering and folly. It causes myths and rumors to abound. Have you ever heard the um, statistic that women use 20,000 words a day and men use 7,000 words a day? It's a statistic that's often bandied, bandied around. But actually, there's no evidence for it whatsoever. It's just a kind of a made-up statistic somebody once came up with, and it's kind of entered general circulation. And it's not true at all. There is no research at all which demonstrates that. You cannot find a scientific paper which proves it. And if you think about it, I mean, even in this room, there are some guys who just never stop talking and some women who are pretty quiet. And it's, it's not to do with whether you're male or female, how much you talk. It's just about personality type. This, that kind of stat which says, oh, women always talk too much and men don't talk enough. It's, it's, it's actually a, an example of how words are used unhelpfully. And let's have a look at what Proverbs 18 says about the use of words. Here's a verse. Proverbs 18, verse 2. 
A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Now that was true two and a half thousand years ago when the Proverbs were written, and it's certainly true today. And this verse talks about the fool. The fool is someone who's morally, spiritually bankrupt. And throughout Proverbs, we're warned against foolish behavior, against being the fool. And Proverbs essentially divides the whole of humanity into two different types of people. Not men supposedly only using 7,000 words a day and women supposedly using 20,000 words a day. That's not the categories that Proverbs uses. The category that Proverbs uses is the wise and the fool. There's a, a wise way of living and a foolish way of living. And some characteristics that Proverbs describes about the wise are things like this. The wise are are good and upright and righteous and blameless. There's a kind of moral integrity about those who are wise. There's a, a wholesomeness about them. The wise are understanding and teachable and embrace correction. Wise people are soft hearted towards being corrected, towards learning stuff. The, the wise are eager to learn more, understand more, be taught. The wise show discretion. They're insightful. They're trustworthy. Wise people are reliable. They're the kind of people you know that if you trust them with something, they're not going to blab about it. If you ask them to do it, they'll get it done. The wise know how to steward their money. They're industrious. They understand how, what it is to work well and productively. And so the wise, because they have these characteristics, experience what Proverbs talks about is the good life. They know they have life worked out and they live life well. The wise are kind of growing people. And as growing people, they are then equipped to become teachers of others. So the question really is, well, how do you get wise? How do you end up being this kind of person? And uh, Proverbs sums it up with this phrase, fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is key to wisdom. And, and fear of the Lord is a, it's not really um, four words. It's what grammatically is called a syntagem, which is like the word butterfly. Now, if you separate the word butterfly out, butter and fly, if you think about those two things, you wouldn't imagine a butterfly because a butterfly isn't anything like butter and it's nothing like a fly. But you hear the word butterfly and you immediately know what we're talking about. That's a syntagem, two words which don't actually, uh, they're more than the sum of their parts. And you can't understand the whole word by analyzing the parts. And when we read our Bibles and we come across this term, fear of the Lord, we tend to break it down. What does that mean when we think about fear and we think about the Lord? And what does it mean to be in fear of the Lord? Because we also talk about our Father in heaven who loves us and embraces us and welcomes us. And we talk about Jesus, our Savior, who's our big brother and our friend. We talk about the Holy Spirit, who's our counselor and helper and fortifier. So what does fear and Lord mean? How do you fit those together? Well, you fit it together because it's like butterfly. It's not like fly and butter. It's a different kind of term. Uh, one, way which kind of, one thing which kind of encapsulates this well is a scene in the Narnia book and uh, movie where the children are talking to Mr. Beaver and they're talking about Aslan before they've met him. And, they, and Lucy, I think, is, said, is, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. And fear of the Lord is to have this understanding of, of God who, yes, he is fearful in a sense that he is altogether mighty and powerful, and he's certainly not safe. But he is good, and he's good to us, and he's good to his people, and he's full of love and compassion towards us, 
towards the human race, towards men and women, and he adopts us as his children and calls us his friends. And so to stand in fear of the Lord is to live in a way of life where you see the goodness and the fierceness of God, but it's not where you're fearful before him in the sense of being afraid, but it's a sense of awe and respect and honor for him, this great king, because he is the king. And Proverbs says the way to get wise is to live in the fear of the Lord. By contrast, the fool displays very different characteristics. The fool is wicked and bad and crooked. And that's not wicked as in wicked. That's wicked as in evil. There's a kind of a, whereas the wise is morally sound, the fool is kind of inwardly corrupt. The fool is gullible in a way which just kind of leads him into sin. Does daft things. The fool is unteachable. The wise person is open to correction, open to teaching. The fool doesn't receive correction, doesn't receive teaching. Proverbs 26, 11 says the fool is like the dog that returns to its vomit. It doesn't learn not to. My dog has a, one of my dogs has a habit of rolling in fox poo whenever he can find it. And he'll never learn not to. He enjoys it. Drives me mad. That's what the fool is like. The fool is a mocker, a sluggard. He chases fantasies. Whereas the wise is reliable and trustworthy, the, the fool is, is essentially kind of lazy and always looking for a quick fix scheme and get rich, get rich quick scheme and is quick to drag other people down. That's what the fool is like. And as a consequence, life doesn't go well for the fool. The life of the fool tends to be messy and chaotic, disordered. Good living means being wise and not foolish. Really, the way the proverb sums this up is like this. The fool has an opinion about everything, but the wise know how to keep their mouths shut. The trouble is, for us, that in our day and age, we are expected to have an opinion about everything. And I wonder why that is. Why is it that we're all expected to have an opinion? Why, whenever there's a contentious, a difficult, a complicated issue to be worked out that they reporters go on the streets and ask ordinary people as if ordinary how am I supposed to know how am I supposed to there's stuff which I just can't understand I haven't looked into it I haven't researched it in a sense my opinion doesn't really count for very much because I just don't know enough about the subject but we all assume that our, we have an opinion and we should have an opinion our opinion is as valid as anybody else's even when that's patently nonsense and of course this has a particular relevance to someone who does what I do which is to stand up and teach like this as it says in James not many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness I'm up here expressing opinions which puts me into a vulnerable position because God is assessing what I say now social media and actually the media in general thrives on opinions without judgment and That's the way of the fool. So we need to be careful about being opinionated. Sometimes opinionated people are very funny. Sometimes opinionated people can be very entertaining. In my experience, opinionated people are often hard to love. If somebody is very opinionated, always has a very strong view about everything, it's hard to be friends with that kind of person. And if we're going to live the good life, well... What Proverbs would say is don't be overly opinionated, but seek understanding. And actually, it's better to understand a few things really well than to be a fool who just blabs about everything. 
the fool has an opinion about everything. Some more verses from Proverbs 18. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Words are powerful things. In uh, 2013, PR executive Justin Seiko got on a plane from London to go on holiday in Cape Town. And just before she left, she tweeted an ill-advised joke to her 170, that was all, 170 followers. She said this, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white. When she got to Cape Town 11 hours later, she was the number one trend worldwide on Twitter. Now, she was clearly being ironic. She was kind of clumsily identifying the realities of of white privilege and bias. That's what really she was doing. She had no malicious intent in what she was doing. She's not racist. It was meant to be ironic. But her life was turned upside down by this ill-advised tweet. And she was a PR executive working for a, a communications company, and she got it wrong. And it went so crazy that she lost her job and life for her basically was ruined. She just received incredible abuse and life unraveled completely for her because of one ill-advised tweet to her 170 followers. Now, that might be a very good reason to stay off social media. Never use Facebook, never use Twitter. Uh, Probably if you do use Facebook or Twitter, even if you tweeted something foolish, this wouldn't happen. She got unlucky. But the possibility always exists that something daft you say will go global. And once it's there, it can never be removed. So Justin Seiko, she shut down her Twitter account, came off Twitter. But it still exists. It didn't take me very long to Google on the other day and and find the screenshot of what she tweeted three years ago. Once it's there, it's there forever. And so particularly social media is, is dangerous. We can use foolish words. And once they're out, you can't pull them back. They're... Once they're out, they're there. Uh, one of the things we've got going on with School of Life um, towards the end of, of, of the time in June, we've got a couple of sessions on using social media wisely. And if you are a social media user, then it might be wise to go along to those sessions and think about that a little bit more. Now, one of the issues with social media is, is the fact that, that, that what we say has a different impact from when we say that same thing face-to-face. If you say something face-to-face to to somebody, you get all the kind of interpersonal, psychological, physical cues. You understand better what that person means. If it comes across on social media, email, it's much harder to understand, to really hear is what what is being said. But even if you don't use social media, if if you haven't got a Facebook account, it's not an issue for you. The issue of foolish talk still remains. When Proverbs 18 was written two and a half thousand years ago, there was no Facebook, no Twitter. But the message was still relevant. Our words can hurt other people. And we can then find ourselves getting smacked in the face by those words. We can end up being trapped by the things that we say. So another way we could summarize the advice of Proverbs here is basically just shut up unless you've got something positive to say. That really is a summary of Proverbs. Just, unless you've got something positive to say, just don't say anything at all. And we can blunder into trouble with the words that we can use. And of course, we can also 
deliberately use words in a destructive way. And that's what gossip does. That's what these uh, verses do. Talk about gossip being like delicious morsels. I just have a bit of that. I just want a bit of that. I'll just taste a bit of that. I'll just try a bit of that. And gossip is incredibly powerful and seductive and attractive. I was uh, in the car on Friday afternoon going to a a meeting in Bournemouth and I was listening to the news. And on the news was a news item about the celebrity couple who none of us were meant to know about who have been doing some things I don't want us to know about. And there's been an injunction about them so that we can't know about it if you live in England or Wales, if you live in Scotland or anywhere else you can, but here you can't. And as soon as I heard that, I immediately thought, I wonder who that, I'd like to know who that is. And I thought, this is really weird because, I mean, I'm not particularly, I'm not interested in celebrity culture. I don't know, who's Holly Willoughby? I've got no idea. I don't follow that kind of world. I'm just not interested in it. But something about being told I couldn't know who it was, immediately I'm thinking, I'd really like to know. And I was thought, I'll go home and Google it. I thought, no, you can't go and Google who it is because you're preaching on Sunday about not, re- not taking hold of gossip. But God, that's how gossip works. It's powerful, isn't it? We want to, we want to taste it, we want to grab it, our ears start twitching. We want, we want to know what it is. Gossip is incredibly seductive to us. And gossip is also incredibly destructive. There's something in us that we want to know. We want to hear the gossip. But the... The rule of thumb for this is if it doesn't increase the grace that people are experiencing, it's better not to know. Would me finding out who those people are, would that increase the grace of God at work in my life? No, so I don't need to know. The things that I say, I I speak to others, does that increase God's grace in their lives? If it doesn't, it's better not to say it. It's it's better, in a sense, to be a bit naive than to have our tongues ever waggling. Words can be destructive. Gossip is destructive. But as well as words leading us into trouble, words can also be life-giving. Verses 20 and 21 says this, From the fruit of a man's mouth his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Whatever you dish out, you'll get back. If you dish out destructive words and It's going to come back and smack you in the face. But if you use your words carefully, you can get good results. Now, how can we do that? How can we speak in a way which is fruitful, not destructive? Well, the secret is to feed on the words of God. Prophet Jeremiah found this. He says, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. What words should we be listening out to? What words should we be seeking to hear? What words should we be meditating on? That kind of gossip, that tittle-tattle, the destructive... No, the words of God. Those words will fill us with joy and delight. They're fruitful. They're good. They're not destructive. They're productive. In Colossians 3... The Apostle Paul puts it this way, that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the kind of speech, the kind of words that produce fruits. Now the context of Colossians 3, the, the passage which those verses are taking, taken from, is, is describing what new life in Jesus Christ is like. 
And it describes a complete transformation that happens to us when we put our faith in Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus and everything is changed. And it's actually in Jesus Christ that we discover what fear of the Lord really means. What does it mean to be wise, to live in the fear of the Lord? Well, what does living in fear of the Lord mean? It means coming into relationship with Jesus. It means seeing that he's the king. It means seeing that in him are words that bring us life. It means living in a way which honors and reflects him. That's the way of wisdom. And Colossians 3 describes how Christ's death and resurrection are the the ground and the guarantee of our security in God. We can trust that God holds us safe because of what Jesus has done. His death on our behalf and his resurrection is a guarantee that God loves us, God holds us, God cares for us, God has a plan for us. And it's also what defines the way that we live, that we're being made like Christ, that the ambition for those of us who are Christians is to become increasingly like Christ. That's what Christ is working in us. In verse 10 of Colossians 3, it says, We have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're made new, you put on this new self, you're kind of clothed differently because Christ catches you up in his character, what he is like. And this new self then thinks differently and acts differently and speaks differently because we experience the grace of God and we want to speak the grace of God. And so we need to cultivate speech which is more like Colossians 3 and less like what we're warned of in Proverbs 18. That's the way of wisdom. That means that for those who are not followers of Christ, the kind of appeal to you is come to Jesus. Coming to Jesus isn't just a lifestyle choice. It's a being clothed in something new. It's a fresh start which changes the way you think and the way you act and the way that you speak. It's not just life tips, but it is new life. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, we need to decide day by day now to practice speaking good words. We need to apply Colossians three sixteen to 17. We need to vocalize thanks to God and encouragement to one another. We need to make a, a daily decision to do this, to let the word of God dwell in us richly, to teach one another in wisdom, to sing those songs and hymns and spiritual songs, to express thanks to God, to open our mouths and speak out thanks to him and encouragement to one another. There's very practical things we can do to practice this, to make it our, our habits. You can make that decision that the first conscious thoughts in the morning will be directed towards thanks to Jesus. That we decide tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to deliberately turn my mind towards Christ. To thank him for another day that he's given me and another opportunity to know him and prove him this day. You can decide to come to a prayer meeting where you can with others, speak out psalms and songs and spiritual songs and encourage and teach one another, express thanks to God. There's practical things we can do today to apply Colossians 3 in our lives. We want to be good news in Paul and Bournemouth. And that means we need to let what comes out of our mouths and out of our Facebook pages be good as well. 
Jesus has spoken over us. He's spoken over us love and mercy and grace and tenderness and kindness. And we need to be those who cultivate tongues which are not like the fools, which lead us into trouble, lead us into destruction, which soak up gossip and say stupid things, but which lead us into grace and help others experience the grace of God through the words that we say. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the transformation we experience when we come to you. And I I pray for us, Lord, in the way that we speak. I pray that you'd help us to speak in ways which is honoring to you and blessing to each other. I pray that you give us wisdom in our interaction with others. I pray for the very practical things of life. I pray those uh, moments when we're tempted just to say something which feels good at the time, but which quickly gets into trouble or leads to something destructive happening. Uh, Give us, uh, maybe be wise, when we live in fear of the Lord, so we have rain on our tongues. Would you help us, Lord, in our interactions with other people when we are in positions, uh, situations of, of, of argument or stress and uh, help us to speak and act still in a godly way to reflect and represent you as we're called to do. Help us with one another, King Jesus, to encourage each other to speak out our praises to you, to express our, our thanks to you who is the King and has been so gracious to us. I pray, Jesus, that we would be characterized as a people together by wisdom and not by folly, that we would speak and act and live together in a way which is full of the grace of God and nourishes joy and delight amongst us. I pray these things in your precious name, King Jesus. Amen.